Hey everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark Liberty, and joining me today is... Pop Pop Corey Corporate Shill Knockreiner. <laughs> Say that today's episode. Fast. On today's episode, we figure out why Corey was refreshing Facebook for six hours straight. Shut uh, up. Discuss a massive breach uh, for a popular video game streaming platform. And then another breach that flew completely under the radar despite its pretty serious consequences. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and trudge on in. Marcus Maddie couldn't get to his Instagram influencers. I get in trouble for my family for not being on Instagram enough and re-gramming pictures of meals and things. So on October 4th, network engineers at Facebook probably lost years off of their life from the stress of all of <laughs> Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp all entirely disappearing from the internet for six hours. Yeah, that must have been crazy stressful, but this is all happening during a whistleblower case too, so it's like salt on an open wound. Yeah, I saw um, some conspiracy theories floating around Reddit that, oh, they just did this. They pulled the plug to, you know, deflect from that whistleblower investigation. But, you know, I don't think that's likely considering I imagine at least a billion people across the world searched for Facebook and Google during this period and would have gotten led to uh, right to those news articles about the whistleblower thing. Yeah. But I'm regardless, I, I, I see why people would think that of Facebook with all the crap going on. But I also agree it's not likely. 100%. Um, so Facebook has since published a blog post with a few details, at least, about what happened. Uh, so they said that during routine maintenance of their backbone network, a engineer issued a command with the intention of assessing the availability of the global backbone capacity. Basically, they were going to do some routine work, could have been like replacing a fiber line or replacing a router. Before they do that, they check the backbone to see if they have capacity to remove that particular node from uh, Facebook's internal network before they actually do it. Uh, but a mistake in the command paired with a bug in the system designed to audit commands unintentionally took down all connections on the backbone network. So effectively, it sounds like a Facebook network engineer unintentionally stopped all BGP advertisements on Facebook's back end. Um, so we've talked about BGP several times on this podcast. We had a prediction on it, it was, what, two years ago now about hackers hold the internet hostage because of DNS and BGP weaknesses. Yep. Uh, but I guess maybe like this deserves a real quick 15 second, what is BGP overview? Um, yeah, so yeah, sure. You can do it or I, I can start. I'll give the executive level and you can add tech detail if you want. I mean, BGP <laughs> is border gateway protocol and specifically, it's just a standard designed to allow autonomous systems let's just call them routers, on the internet to exchange router and reachability information. I mean, the internet is just a bunch of wires all over the place connected with routers that the entire community, yes, there's ISPs, there's different levels of routing, but we've all agreed, hey, let's talk to each other. And to kind of automate this, these routers have to kind of share pathing information. Here's where I am, here's where this network is, blah, blah, blah. And so BGP is really the system that is used, the standardized system used to share these routes. Uh, gets more complex than that. There's interior BGP versus exterior BGP, if you want to go into that detail. And there's also a lot of detail around how you can 
sign or not sign uh, your your BGP ASNs. I don't know if you want to get into that, Mark. But ultimately, it's just a standard so that all the devices that have to share the hard IP addresses of where things are can do so, so that we can all talk to each other. Yeah, and like as another high level, like if you're a large enough company, you probably have your own internet IP addresses assigned to you by like the internet numbering authority for whatever given region you're in. Yeah. And Facebook, and you, by the way, will have more than normal too, because obviously yeah. to support a network like that, they have a, like they literally have millions of servers and millions or many data centers. So they, they probably have more public addresses than even big companies. Yep. And so when you're the size of Facebook, you use BGP to advertise your IP addresses to your peers, which will probably be directly to internet service providers uh, through individual countries with different co-locations. Like basically all of your data centers will say, okay, so I've got this block of IP addresses. They're available out of this, what we call autonomous system, which is this data center over here, this one over there. And because it's dynamic, like if one of those data centers go down, there's a way to reroute those IPs through other lines. Maybe you've got, hopefully for Facebook, you've got backup fiber lines in between data centers where you can reroute some of this traffic. Basically, BGP takes care of automatically, in theory, advertising where all these IP addresses can be reached from across the entirety of the internet. And so uh, we actually saw from a, a blog post from Cloudflare uh, who runs the 1.1.1 resolver for DNS, um, that they noticed this issue happening uh, about a minute after it started, where one of their engineers basically said, it's not possible that Facebook is down, is it? And when they investigated, they found that Facebook had begun uh, withdrawing their routes, so issuing BGP route withdrawal messages at the time of this incident. So basically, whatever that command that poor network engineer ran, shut off BGP for Facebook's networks. Um, this resulted in Facebook's DNS servers becoming unreachable, even though they were technically operational because Facebook is large enough, they, ho they host their own authoritative name servers for the domains. So when you try and go to facebook.com, ultimately that trickles down to Facebook's servers they maintain. And they designed this infrastructure to disable BGP advertisements if that server can't speak to the data center. It's like a kind of automated health check where if it can't see the data center, then it assumes something's wrong and it removes itself from the network. But because of this propagation issue they had, all of their DNS servers removed themselves. So you couldn't even resolve facebook.com. You just got a serve fail response. Um, Cloudflare actually noted they saw a 30 times increase in queries to Facebook domains during this period. Uh, I surmise because every single boomer kept trying to refresh Facebook, uh, as well as other apps that were erroring out and compounding the issue Could it also be automated too. retries too? I mean, like uh, oh, 100%, if your browser yeah. first goes to something, it tries once and usually gets there, but it will repeat it a few times probably before it, it says, nope, I can't get there. <laughs> yep. And then like there's millions of apps out there that use Facebook in some capacity, whether it be communications or advertisement or whatever, just even just the Facebook pixel you can throw on something. How many and people close the Facebook app on their phone? You probably don't realize that Facebook shows you as green connected all the time because you happen to have it open on your phone or something. Exactly. Um, so all of these apps, everything, all the users trying to get to it, trying to refresh, caused additional DNS load on other servers that were then trying to uh, resolve it too. Like Cloudflare noticed a 30 times increase in queries. I think it was uh, Trevor with this Oculus headset trying to game during this time and it wouldn't let him. Right in the middle of the workday, sounds right. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> By the way, I, I threw Trevor on the bus. It would be more likely me VR gaming. 
Correct. And for the Oculus haters out there, you could game fine as long as you played offline games. Uh, so compounding this issue, turns out all of Facebook's corporate communications are through Facebook-owned domains. Like, that makes sense. WatchGuard, we send emails to at watchguard.com email addresses. Well, all their chat, all their everything was hosted on Facebook domains. And because their DNS infrastructure was down, it broke all of their communications. Uh, there were also reports by the New York Times and other sources that had employees saying they were having trouble even getting into Facebook buildings because the badging system no longer worked. You imagine that probably communicates to some server and it figures out where that server is by DNS resolution, of course. Like this was about as bad as it gets in terms of catastrophic failures in networking infrastructure, like a single mistake compounding this into one of the largest internet companies going offline for six hours. It's nuts. Um, so, by the way, the one, one thing we didn't mention when we're talking about like, like it is clear. And I think we're getting to that. This was a a self-caused issue due to some messed up maintenance. And we'll get into that. But I do want to know, besides people thinking it might be them trying to distract from the whistleblower case, I did see a little bit of scuttlebutt on underground forums. And obviously people also thought, could this be a hack? There is one scuttlebutt for a form we follow, a pretty you know high level, not the deepest form in the world, uh, where one particular user was blamed as leaking a big Facebook leak during this time. I, just so you know, I now kind of think that's bull poop. <laughs> or at least yeah. unrelated. Uh, yeah, or unrelated. But uh, do know that obviously some people thought hack, but there was a little bit of you know underground forums where... It seemed like, you know, one guy might have been claiming credit for a hack. But so far, there's no evidence at all. It seems to, you know, I kind of believe Facebook's blogs right now. It's, yeah, actually kind of weird with me saying that I believe Facebook's statement. That's yeah. not something I figured I would ever say in my lifetime. But <laughs> don't, don't tie that to <laughs> me thinking uh, they have good <laughs> privacy uh, regulations or they shouldn't be under Section 230. Just mean I don't necessarily think this is a hack without evidence. As much as I don't like the company, I do feel so badly for their network engineers right now. This must yeah. have been a terrible, terrible time for them. If, if they weren't all gray beards, if there are some millennial engineers, they're probably gray beards by now. Yeah, exactly. Um, this wasn't the end of the issue, so they did manage to restore the backbone, but it wasn't just as simple as, you know, turning on Facebook.com again at that point. Uh, they noted in their statement that they had to be careful with returning services back online because some of their data centers had power dips in the range of tens of megawatts. And so if you just <laughs> turned everything back online, you risk actual electrical damage to the electrical systems too. <laughs> Which now makes me wonder how much electricity does I, 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 I'm thinking that it is, I already don't really love them right now with privacy. Now I learned they're a big environmental factor with their electric use. I guess, well, like, I guess electric could be better if we got it uh, out of different means. Like, what did I hear? Like, Bitcoin mining takes up more energy than all of Argentina or something oh, like that. Like, I wonder nuts. what Facebook's country equivalent yeah. is for all these people trying to one-up their friends with whatever cool stuff they're doing this week. Maybe they're forward-thinking enough that they have solar panels on all their parking garages or something. Yeah. And so, like, my first thought when this happened was, ha, serves them right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's my, actually... My first thought was, 
hot first ha i didn't notice because it was a work dan i really don't give a crap about facebook but if i were on facebook i'd be like ha a break this feels good do we really need social networks maybe they should go away Oh, unfortunately, Cloudflare also noted that DNS requests for other social networks like Twitter and Reddit (laughs) skyrocketed during this time, too. Quite quite interesting to see Facebook use Twitter as an emergency communication mechanism when their stuff was down. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, But like there's a whole bunch of actual collateral damage in this. Like WhatsApp, for example, is the primary form of communications for a lot of regions. Like in the UK, it's heavily used. Um, all across all Europe, actually, Mia. across yeah. Africa, like it's a really popular app. And when that goes down, that causes a ton of issues. Um, there were like reports from Internet service providers and mobile telcos that were just inundated with calls from their customers saying, oh, the Internet's down because they can't get to Facebook. <laughs> wow. Facebook is now the Internet. <laughs> this issue had a lot of compounding problems it caused because of just how dang big this company is and how many people in this world use it it's so. also interesting for time i believe it i mean it's not the first outage of this type or of facebook but six hours i think was the longest time yeah. they've had so far so i mean they yeah. effectively they had to go i, I don't just blame that on facebook by the way it. i i think this is something just from the availability part of security i, I mean the reason you and I predicted BGP and DNS being a weak point to take down the internet is because they're weak points for everyone, right? I mean, it is fun for us to hate on Facebook because that just happens to be where we are right now. But but I, I think this could happen to a lot of companies. And as we rely more and more on technology and we put more and more in clouds that aren't directly under our control, this thing is bound to happen. I mean... One argument is bigger companies with the finance should be able to keep more uptime than a smaller company in general. But uh, this is why a BCDR should be a thing. If you are relying on any sort of external cloud for anything, you better have a backup plan for if that ever goes down. Yeah. And like, I mean, I don't know. So my first thought was, do they not have any out-of-band networking at all like it makes sense that facebook would have this massive backbone for all of their like all of their data yeah. and everything they do everything but you'd think they'd have like a fiber line to each of these at least the major data centers that they my understanding is like they do they, they have a ton of fiber but wouldn't i mean it's not that different bg like dns and bgp might be the connecting point right i mean you could have a bazillion different fiber lines and routes but you still need dns and bgp to work to be able to do that failover properly and uh so it's not you know maybe it's it's not the fiber lines maybe it's the other places i don't know i mean i get that in terms of single points of failure this command is a succeeding is a pretty nuts single point of failure but it's crazy that just this one thing was able to take down a goliath on the internet like facebook for so long should we say prediction succeeded for our, even though it wasn't a cyber criminal? I mean, it's still just sharing our whole point of BGP and DNS are single points of failure for the internet, period. Yeah, because like even I mean, if yeah, you... You have them everywhere, but again, for individual entities, if that BGP gets screwed up, you know, all your traffic can be belong to someone else. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know what, I, I'm interesting to see what architectural changes they make after this to make it so like, okay, if our network fails, can we still resolve DNS? You think that's like probably step one, <laughs> maybe like partner with 
you know, Cloudflare or Amazon and get one resolver up in there. That's uh, a good point. One of your uh, authoritative servers up there so that if everything else goes down, you've at least got your communication still. Yeah, yeah. Place maybe like an out-of-band, <laughs> maybe an out-of-band, uh, like backdoor network to some of these major data centers that is completely separate from your main BGP backbones. So By the way, that, that, that was interesting too. I mean, you talked about this, of course, took down Facebook's own ability to communicate with email and their domain and other things, but working at home probably complicated this. Yeah. You know, normally you have people probably sitting in these data centers monitoring them, not just remotely. So I have a feeling, you know, it was not just learning about it, but you had to take the time to get someone there. And if your internal emails down because of the infrastructure issues, just communicating to get someone there, it all goes to phones. I mean, this was part of their statement. It said, because these facilities are designed with high levels of physical and system security in mind, they're hard to get into. And once you're inside, the hardware and routers are designed to be difficult to modify, even if you have physical access to them. So it took extra time to activate the secure access protocols needed to get people on site and be able to work on the servers. And only then could we confirm the issue and bring the backbone back online. So basically, like it makes sense. You don't want someone to be able to just walk into your data center. You don't want them, even if they did get in, to be able to access your router and change it. But when you have a catastrophic failure like this, it certainly doesn't make it easy to recover from it. Yeah. Which, I mean, from a security they did, standpoint, they did some good security stuff. I mean, yeah. I think we would both agree that that was good. But considering technically, if you really are an infosec person, security is availability. There's uh, there's a, a paradox there. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Either way, though, poor went out for the poor Facebook network engineers that had to. Whether you love Facebook or not, (laughs) they are surely tired and need a weekend off. 100%. Hopefully, it doesn't go down again during that weekend. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Um, So, man, last week was actually a big one when it came to news involving big companies. So, also last week, uh, Twitch appears to have suffered a significant data breach that involved a massive dump, a data dump that appeared to that appeared on an underground forum. So Twitch being the really popular online video game streaming platform that all the all them millennials these days like to watch streamers on. Uh, the data included source code for multiple versions of the Twitch client, so Windows, Mac, mobile, all that. Uh, information about an unreleased Steam uh, competitor, so the game distribution platform Steam. Um, which, funny enough, pausing there, they their code name for their competitor was Vapor. I don't know, that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> for the gamers out there, Vaporware is constantly something you talk about, so I don't know if I would name any project Vapor. Yep. It's like, you better knock on wood now. Um, and then also three years of payout data for their streaming partners. Uh, so people that three- stream through Twitch get money effectively. Uh, they leaked all the money they'd paid them. Um, and then also Twitch's internal red teaming tools got leaked as a part of this as well. Although I um, saw so, a lot of notes that these are probably more like blue teaming tools. It didn't look uh-huh. like it was for hacking. It looked more like scripts to help detect. But but yeah, some of the tools their security team uses for, for their operations. Um, so in response, they reset the streaming keys for all users. Uh, the streaming key is basically your API key for authenticating from some streaming software into Twitch's platform. Can, can we talk say, about for that for two seconds yeah. only in that? I, I think we're going to talk about this coming up. But what wasn't leaked yet, 
is personal information or passwords or the streaming keys. As far as we know, the streaming keys weren't in the, the by the way, this is truly a public leak. You don't even have to try to find it. The, find it, the magnet links are out there. So it's very validated. Uh, but they did the streaming key uh, reset proactively. But the reason I want to talk about this is it's, I mean, if you have access to source code, you probably have access to everything. You know, it's a stretch, some people segment, but uh, it's not a huge stretch. So uh, besides the streaming keys being actively reset by Twitch, I would change my Twitch password if I were a Twitch user. You know, there is no evidence that that's gone now, but it's just smart security practice. Uh, the, the name of the file for this leak was a part one. There has been nothing about part two yet, but it does kind of indicate more may be coming. Yep. So, yeah, exactly. So they said part one. I'm interested to see what other data gets popped out. Now, Twitch did say they investigated and didn't find any additional data, but who knows? Maybe they just didn't see how that got exfiltrated. Uh, it seems like this the the user who posted it is basically just doing it as a egg in the face moment for Twitch. So they, they weren't I, I selling would call it. This Activism, right? I mean, it doesn't right. seem to be a criminal. He, uh, I, I, he or she. I mean, it's a criminal they, technically. <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't seem to be monetarily motivated necessarily. Mm -hmm. It seemed they're mad about Twitch's practices, and I have to admit, all the stories on it talk about the lack of diversity in the top streamers and stuff like that. So, anyways, even though uh, you're right, this is actually a criminal. Uh, it feels more hacktivist than cybercrime. Yep. Um, so in their blog post, they blamed a server misconfiguration that enabled a malicious third party to access the data there. They didn't give any details on the type of server or the access method, but you know it sounds a whole lot like just some storage server or a bucket or something that they accidentally left exposed that had all this data on it. That said, it could have been some remote access bastion or something that they were able to then get in through. With this hacker, you know, basically pretty much not liking Twitch at all, uh, I'm pretty sure if you know, Twitch is not sharing the real story behind it. I bet you the hacker will disclose it if it's anything embarrassing. So we might learn more detail about exactly how the hack happened in the future. Yeah, 100%. So either way, though, I mean, pretty big in terms of like they got everything like source code, database information. If you want to see how much your favorite streamer makes, you can go check it out now as well. I was personally blown away at how many millions of dollars some of these people make. Like, and here my parents told me I'd never make money playing video games professionally. <laughs> are they playing video games anymore? Or are they s sitting in a hot tub? Exactly. I, I don't even know. It blows my mind that someone can make millions of dollars of just people, of from people watching them play games. Like, it's yeah. nuts. It is nuts. I'm too old and pop pop Corey to kind of totally get Twitch. I'm okay with doing video <laughs> that I send out that I don't have to sit live in front of people and deal with chats and pop-ups and dings and thank you for the donation. But uh, apparently it's a big thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'd be super entertaining live. So uh, maybe I'll just <laughs> leave that to the quote unquote professionals. Uh, but yeah, like you said, if you're a Twitch user, probably good to reset your password just to be safe. Definitely. Uh, you will have to re-update your streaming keys already. It's already been done. Depending on what app you're using, um, you may need to take some actions. Some of them not, like OBS, Open Broadcasting Software, is it? Uh, yep. Integrates through OAuth instead of a key, so you don't need to reset anything there. 
Um, and I guess we sit here and watch and see what part two looks like when this actually comes out. Um, so, oh, by the way, I did, just because it's good practice, if you are resetting your password, even though it's not for sure necessary, just something we think is good. Uh, do you know you can set up two factor two? This is a good example of why you might want to set up two factor. Yeah, because I they guess might log if the hack is deep enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, a hundred percent. At least reset your password. Um, so. That was all super exciting last week and got a ton of news, at least in the circles we follow. But in the midst of all that, um, there was another major incident that I'd argue kind of flew under the radar and didn't garner as much attention as it potentially should have. Um, so it started late last month uh, when Cineverse, which is a company responsible for routing SMS text messages for the likes of like Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, uh, many others, um, sent a several hundred page filing to the SEC, the Security Exchange Commission, um, as a part of a process for merging with a publicly traded company. And tucked away in that 800 page filing on page 69 in the risk factors section, they noted that in May 2021, so earlier this year, they became aware of unauthorized access to their operational and information technology systems. And after investigation, they found that that unauthorized access began in May of 2016. And the individual or organization- Five years for people who yes. are not doing the, the quick math. Five years, five years of dwell time for the attacker. And over those five years, that individual or organization had gained unauthorized access to the database and their network on several occasions. And through that access, the attacker obtained login credentials uh, that would have allowed them access to the electronic data transfer environment, so the EDS environment, for 235 of Cineverse's clients. Um, so the quote from the uh, the filing was, while Cineverse believes it has identified and adequately remediated the vulnerabilities that led to the incident described above, there can be no guarantee that Cineverse will not uncover evidence of exfiltration or misuse of its data or IT systems from the May 2021 incident, uh, or that it will not experience a future cyber attack leading to such consequences. So basically, they clean up the holes, but they can't guarantee if anything was stolen or not over the course of those five years that it was occurring. Um, so Motherboard uh, had contacted a source at a, a telco provider who basically said whoever obtained those credentials would have had access to metadata, so length, cost, phone numbers, location, as well as the actual content of SMS text messages over this network. Um, so, because according to their filing, so Cineverse is responsible for 95% of the top 100 mobile carriers in the world. And they're responsible for basically routing text messages between these carriers. So that if I'm on T-Mobile, you're on AT&T, when we text each other, it goes through Cineverse's network. And global. This is pretty so nuts. Te te Telefonica, yeah. they are a major connector of telcos. So lots of people are affected. By the way, I hate, you know, I don't hate it. I hope you listen to our podcast the most, but Motherboard Cyber has a very good podcast on this. And they also point out that one of the things that they don't like in their analysis is Cineverse is trying to not talk about this. They're kind of trying yeah. to sweep this under the carpet and it's a pretty big deal. And I, I think it's I, a I massive think, deal. Uh, be, besides the, the tons of... Uh, other types of data that likely is is available. I think the SMS is enough. You and I have talked about 
uh, signaling system seven and these third parties like Cineverse that basically have access to clear text SMS, which is what it, it's the reason we and NIST and most cybersecurity folks, while we're very pro multi or two factor authentication, text based one time passwords, those six to seven digits you get via text. Don't not do it if it's your only way of doing it, but this is exactly why text-based 2FA is pretty much not accepted by government agencies. Third parties can intercept them. And in this case, a hacker had access to a third party that saw them all for five years. You know, it's, it's easy to get conspiratorial and, and, and think, you know, if nation states are trying to do bad stuff, that's a good, good way to do it. Uh, so, you know, I, I, the takeaway for sure is two-factor authentication, uh, multi-factor is good, but try to use something that sends or uses a factor that's over an encrypted connection, not a basic text message. Yeah, like my first thought when I saw this was, man, I bet the NSA would love that. And then my second thought was, wait, they wouldn't need to hack them. I bet they already had just have access to them in the first place. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they had a subpoena <laughs> set up long ago with data sharing. Oh, subpoena? Wow, you think they have to use a subpoena to get oh, access oh, I'm to sorry. that? It's just part of the, what was it called? The, the Not the, what was the main Prism? act? It starts with a P. No, that's the, the Snowden version. Patriot Act. I'm actually, Patriot Act. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> The 9-11 yeah, act that but, allows them to snoop just about anything. Like you said, like some third party nation state that doesn't have that ease of access to something like this. This is massively beneficial. Yeah. Being able to potentially read clear text test, text messages for 95% of the top 100 bubble yeah. carriers in the world. Like, and maybe it is. I, a, yeah, it's, it's a huge one. And that's why I actually, you know, we keep up on the news. I actually didn't learn about this till about a day and a half after it happened. And I don't think it's getting enough news. Actually, kudos to Motherboard. They were the first that that I found out about it through. So I, you know, I think the Twitch hack is big because it's interesting, a big company that everyone knows. I think this is way more impactful as far as you know, widespread potential implication. And five years is pretty nuts. Like I get yeah, that, that crazy. And it also makes me wonder how they catched it finally after five years where they hadn't for the five years prior to that. So, no, I mean, I, it's I, gotta I, be some form of audit. Yeah. I'm guessing as part of this, trying to merge with this publicly traded company that turned it up. And then once you know about it, you have to disclose it as part of these filings. Yeah. But I, I try not to, to, to lay blame because everyone is susceptible to things. But when you start talking five years, it feels like something was negligently missing here. Like that's especially a, with something critical like long, this. Yes. I mean, you look at the, the Poneman end of uh, state of the endpoint report, I think is the one Poneman research, if I'm pronouncing yep. Poneman right. Uh, they do a lot of uh, annual uh, description of mean time between identification or dwell time for malware. And it's always been high. We've always kind of uh, complained about why is it 120 days and now I think it's dropped down to 96, which is a long time to miss something for three plus months. But five years, like that's on the extreme end of the bell curve of even average bad company practice. So it, it just, that that number definitely stuck out. You yeah. have to be doing so, literally no monitoring almost to, to miss it. Or I guess it could be a very smart attacker. I mean, it could to have some been extent, super invasive. You know, they, Give them they a little didn't, credit, I guess. 
exfiltrate a lot, so maybe less less actions that would be noticed. Yep. Either way, though, like to have access to, like you said, being able to sniff potentially SMS one-time passwords is like basically what any nation state or big cyber criminal would want access to. Yeah, completely that gives you everything. A, a form of MFA. Uh, it, so also, it also negates like, uh, I mean, one of the easiest ways to get into people's accounts was password resets. And what protects password resets? Email, like usually Gmail for private citizens. And often that Gmail access is protected by 2FA because your password is probably already leaked long ago and your typical user that doesn't change it. So I, I feel like access to OTPs would help with password reset mechanisms. It's a way you could get into almost every account that had a kind of flawed password mechanism or one that that was attached to an email with 2FA, or I believe some even will, you know, do a little reach out to your phone anyways, just to make sure the person resetting it is really who was recorded as putting in the phone number. So, you know, I feel like you could gain access to accounts because of that OTP access, the, the SMS access. Especially if you just deleted your Windows password uh, for your Windows oh, yeah. account and set up a text message as one of the forms of approving if, access. If you, you used password list and decided not to go with Hello or Fido Key, you went with that email me an OTP, well, you're definitely screwed. <laughs> but either way, so they did at least resolve this, it sounds like, as of May of 2021, even though they didn't tell anyone other than law enforcement and the individual companies they work with. I mean, it makes me feel a little gross because I feel like this should have been a public disclosure because it impacts a lot of people. Like there's, yes, it's technically 200 whatever clients of theirs whose access to this network were breached, but it's all of our text messages over it that were breached. So it's weird that this yeah. didn't trigger I a public disclosure. I, I, I think it's going to come out. I think it will. I, I think uh, that is the avenue it sounds like Motherboard is most interested in, the fact that they're really trying to avoid commenting on this. So uh, if you know anything about the journalists, that makes them extra curious. So I guess we'll keep watching. Yeah. And in the meantime, I don't know, reset all your OTPs now. Who knows? <laughs> At a minimum, just stop using SMS-based multi-factor if you have another option. Like you said, Corey, it's, it's better than nothing. What was it? Uh, don't not do it if it's your only way of doing it. Uh, but <laughs> I love my double negative there. What can I say? If you've got another way of doing it, consider that one instead. And, and if I'm being a vendor shill, AuthPoint, we use push authentication ver over an encrypted channel, HTTPS. Well known, well understood. <laughs> shill. <laughs> it's a good product, man. I use it every day. You and me both, I, and not because my, we're my, required to. My two-factor Twitch authentication is actually stored in my AuthPoint uh, uh, generator token generator or whatever oh there you, you can go use it with Is your all facebook your open... one as well uh maybe <laughs> <laughs> i think facebook has their own but it does actually use push not text but well, no maybe anyways. facebook is there what a steam is the one that's not steam is the one that i have to use steam guard yeah well hopefully they don't get breached next <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions for today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey is at SecAdept, and the both of us are at hashtag the 443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.